Hi, welcome to the Really Telling It Like It Is program. I'm Apostle Baker, Jay Baker, who is a doctor in psychology. And don't you just love that word provoking? You know, someone told me, you should not put on there that you provoke people. And I'm saying, why not? I intend to, we intend to provoke you into thinking about how you think about the word of God and doing something different, doing something about it. Uh, today, oh, I want to remind you that we're on Roku and Apostle Michael is on Roku also. His program, one of his, one of his programs uh, airs right after mine on the still telling it like it is on Wednesday. So mine is from 2 to 2.30, his is from 2.30 to 3.30, and then you can figure out what that is on uh, Eastern and uh, the other kinds of time. At any rate, we're here still talking about the prophet, the office, uh, the office of the prophet or the ascension gift of the prophet and all of these things. I want you to push those buttons, invite your friends, your family, your enemies and all those different people because they will be blessed. They will be changed. They will get ticked off. They will get provoked. They will get challenged. They'll get all that kind of stuff. And that just excites me. So I'm not here for mamby-pamby. I'm not here to make your flesh feel good. We're here to allow you to recognize what the kingdom of God is about. And so now, without any other uh, uh, me making you mad, I'm going to introduce my guest, Apostle Michael Pram. Welcome, Apostle. <laughs> yeah, I love it. <laughs> without you making anybody mad, huh? <laughs> well, and nothing else, folks. We actually have fun doing this. We really, really do. And uh, I, I said last week that I intended to begin to talk about the prophet and try to do it in two sessions. And I made it about a third of the way through three pages of notes. So, and Dr. Baker said to me after we went off the air, what was you talking about saying you're going to finish this next week? You know you ain't going to do that. So, uh, it'll probably be at least another week. Who knows? But we left off last week. We were talking about the linking together of apostles and prophets, how they were designed to function together, how out of all of the five ascension gifts that in the three foundational texts that we looked at, which were Ephesians 4.11, 1 Corinthians 12.28, and Ephesians 2.20, that the apostle and the prophet were linked together in all three cases. And that according to Ephesians 2.20, that they together are the foundation that the church is built upon with Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. And we said that the apostles alone are not the foundation. The prophets alone are not the foundation, but the apostles and prophets together comprise the foundation of the church. And then we said that usually you're going to find prophets united or yoked together with apostles. And we said it should be like a wedding ceremony. We say that when a man and woman get married, the preacher says, what God has joined together let not man put asunder or let not man separate. And so it is with apostles and prophets. 
what God has joined together, let not man put asunder or separate. Apostles and prophets need to function and work together. They need to be synergistically linked together. And so we began to talk about the difference between a harness relationship and a casual relationship of apostles and prophets. And we said that Paul and Silas were a harness type of relationship. They were partnered together. They functioned and flowed together. They traveled together. They were together many times in ministry and, and so many times, even through the book of Acts, that you'll find Paul and Silas, Paul and Silas, Paul and Silas mentioned together. And that is one type of an apostle-prophet relationship. But then there's also a casual type where there's mutual respect, mutual honor, but they're not harnessed together where they're in an intimate, close working relationship. And of course, the biblical example of that is Paul and Agabus. You remember that Agabus, the prophet, had the prophetic word about the coming famine and everybody took heed to that prophetic word. They stored it up and they made provision ahead of time. So when the famine came, nobody was left without because they had taken time to make provision according to the word of the Lord. Then we know that Agabus comes to Paul and he takes Paul's belt and he ties his own hands with Paul's belt. And he says, you know, this is what the Lord indicates or the spirit indicates the same is going to be done to the person that owns this belt. So this was an object lesson prophetic act. And sometimes people say, well, are prophetic acts biblical? Yes, they are, because Agabus did a prophetic act where he tied his own hand with Paul. This is what the spirit is signifying is going to happen when you get to Jerusalem. It's coming from the Jews. And so Paul still goes to Jerusalem. And, you know, everybody was saying, oh, Paul, you can't go to Jerusalem now because this is what's going to happen to you. Notice Agabus had a track record for being accurate. He had already prophesied the coming of the famine. And because it was exactly as he said, now when he takes that belt and binds his hands, now the people are like, man, this guy Agabus, he's got a track record. He don't miss it. He nails it when he prophesies. So, Paul, this is what's coming. You can't go. You can't go to Jerusalem. Now, people say that Paul missed it. Folks, let me tell you, Paul did not miss it. Because remember, the Holy Spirit, Jesus spoke of the Spirit and said, when the Spirit of truth has come, he will show you things to come. Notice what Agabus did not say. Agabus did not say, because this will happen, don't go to Jerusalem. That was not the words that he spoke. The words that he spoke was, when you get to Jerusalem, in other words, you're going. 
when you get to Jerusalem, this is what's going to happen. All this was, was preparation to let him know what awaited him when he got there. This was not an instruction not to go. This was not a warning not to go. This was just a way for God to get across to the Apostle Paul through a prophet what was awaiting him when he got there. So Paul did not miss it. Say, have you ever seen that happen in your life? Absolutely. And boy, here I go. I'm chasing the rabbit. Here we go, Doc. <laughs> but I remember years ago, I was doing a, a, a leadership seminar. This is back probably around the mid-90s, around 1994, I believe. And I had only moved back to New Jersey from Oklahoma a few years. I moved back in 92. And in 94, my mom and dad were living full-time on the field in Trinidad. And dad was president of a Bible college and leader of a ministerial fellowship there. I was overseeing the day-to-day -day operations of the ministry. I was also working in an Italian caterer doing the restaurant thing and still teaching, still preaching, traveling and doing all that stuff. So I've always been bivocational, you know, and I used to just tell people, you know, if Paul can make tents, I can make meatballs. It was all good. And so we were getting ready to do this leadership seminar back in the mid nineties. And I got to be honest with you. Some of the stuff that we talked about was not very popular at the time. We talked about the fact we, I did a particular session on the dangers of not preaching the whole counsel of God, but only your pet doctrines and riding your hobby horse over and over and over again. That didn't go over real well. We talked about um, the difference between having a gift-based ministry and a need-based ministry. Well, that wasn't real popular. Because, you know, we, we took the whole ministry of helps as it was taught in that time, and we blew it out of the water. Because, you know, everybody uses that scripture in Ecclesiastes that says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it. Did you ever read the context of that? That's, that's Solomon in his rant about vanity, vanity, all is vanity. You might as well enjoy the wife of your youth because that's all there is in this life. So whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. That's the context. What in the world that has to do with the ministry of helps, I do not know. Because it's not even closely related. But it was used as a billy club beating Christians over the head to get them to volunteer and be involved in areas of ministry that they weren't called to do, weren't graced to do, didn't have the temperament for, nor a passion for. Nothing worse than putting somebody that doesn't like kids in children's church, because children can tell whether or not you want to be there. And so we were kicking that cow over. And so we kicked over a lot of sacred cows in this particular seminar. And we're about two weeks before that meeting. And the Lord says to me, you're going to get pushback for doing this meeting. And it's not coming from the world. It's coming from the church. And so I said to the Lord, why am I doing it? 
and the heavens were silent. I heard crickets. Nothing. Okay. He did not say, don't do the meeting. He said, you're going to get pushback for doing the meeting. He already instructed me to do it. Now he's telling me what's going to happen when I do it. He didn't say, don't do it. And so I go to the team that I'm working with, and I tell them, the Lord said to me that we're going to get pushback for doing this meeting, and it's not coming from the world. It's coming from the church. And so they said to me, well, then why are we doing it? And I said, that's what I asked the Lord. And they said, what did he say? And I said, he didn't say anything. He said nothing. The heavens were brass. And so now I have an instruction to do a meeting. And the knowledge that doing this meeting is going to get pushback from the church. But he didn't say, don't do it. And so I went ahead, just like Agabus said to Paul, this is what's going to happen when you, it was only God letting him know what was coming. He was preparing him for what was to come. It wasn't don't go to Jerusalem. And so let me just finish this story because it's a good story and there's lessons in it. So I went ahead and I did the meeting. Lo and behold, exactly what God said was going to happen, it happened. And I got pushback. Oh, dear Lord God. They ran my name through the mud. They called me every foul thing that you could think of. It got so bad that the largest word of faith church in our area, who was actually supporting my mom and dad while they were living in Trinidad, they were supporting them every month while they're living on the foreign field. One of the staff ministers called my dad from the largest word of faith church in this area of New Jersey, a church of several thousand people, calls my dad in Trinidad and said, Michael's causing all kinds of problems up here. So in 1994, I took my first trip to Trinidad and go down to visit mom and dad and to do some ministry. And dad, I no sooner get into his house after he picks me up from the, he says, what are you doing up there? I said, what do you mean? He said, Richard called me and said, you're causing trouble. And I said, well, all we did was a leadership seminar. He said, well, what did you say? And I said, I brought the tapes with me. You can tell how old it was. We were using tapes back then. It wasn't MP3s. It wasn't CDs. We, it wasn't real to real, but we were using cassettes. And so I took the cassettes and I gave them to him. And I said, here, you can listen to what we said. And so dad, he says, well, there's nothing wrong with what you said. I said, I know that. Well, years later, I visited that incident with the Lord again. And I said, why did you have me do this meeting knowing that I was going to get pushback from, from the church? And I mean to tell you, I would walk up to, to leaders at like leadership conferences. Well, back then they were all called pastor's conferences. Because even though we taught five-fold ministry, we only believed in one-fold ministry. I'm sorry. Did I say that out loud? Yes, I did. 
and, and the one fold was hyphenated because it was pastor teacher. We put them together. So it was a, it was a, like a one and a half fold. And, and so even though they said fivefold, they didn't really believe it. And so I would go to these pastors conferences and I would have people walk up to me, shake my hand. Oh, Mike, it's so good to see you. And the minute I walked past them, I felt like I was in psycho. In my back, I could feel it. All I did was love them. I just blessed them. Lord, I blessed them. I blessed them. I got blackballed. My name was passed around. Don't have him come to your church because he's going to cause problems. Because I was challenging the status quo of unbiblical man-made doctrine. And I got blackballed for it. And so I just blessed them. I just blessed them. I just blessed them. They ran my name through the mud like crazy. And so after this is over, I said, Lord, why? Why did you have me do this? This is years later. And this is what the Lord told me. He gave me two reasons why I needed to do this particular meeting. He said, for what you were called to. He said, the prophet is the mouthpiece of God. And I've got to trust the character of the vessel that I put my word in their mouth. And I had to know that you would bless those that curse you. That you would do that despitefully used you. That you would not render evil for evil, but blessing for their cursing. I had to know that your character was right before I could trust you to put my word in your mouth. I was like, whoa. And he said, and you passed the test with flying colors. There was a reason I had to go through that. Now, God wasn't telling me don't do it. He was just letting me know what was coming, and he was doing it because he was working character in my life. That's part of that pit process that we don't like. That's that profit and training before you get commissioned to step in the fullness of the function You've got to get proven, and your character's got to be developed, and God's got to know that he can trust you, that you won't be driving down the road and say, well, why don't you just go drive up a tree, and there they go. God's got to trust you if he's putting his word in your mouth. I said, well, Lord, why else did you have me do that? And he said, when I want to bring change to a region, somebody's got a voice that change and release it into the atmosphere so that I can work with it. And he said, and you were the one. He said, to be honest with you, you weren't my first choice. He says, I tried to give that assignment to three other people, but they wouldn't do it. See, it costs something to go against the status quo. It costs something to go against the accepted practices of the day and to stand up for biblical accuracy. It'll cost you to obey God. 
but it is worth it in the long run. There is much greater reward for being obedient to the instruction of God and letting patience have her perfect work and letting the peace of God that passes all understanding guard your heart and your mind. See, we're always trying to get our mind, but he say it'll guard your heart first and your mind. And when you're walking in obedience to what God said, you have peace that you cannot explain. Even though they're speaking all manner of evil against you, you can walk in peace. And even though they are not at peace with you, you can be at peace with them because you have been obedient to what God has said. And so many times God will show you what is to come, not to get you to not do it, just so that you are prepared for what awaits you. And so this is what happened with Paul and Agabus. It was a, They weren't harnessed together. They weren't yoked together. But there was a respect between Apostle Paul and Prophet Agabus that when Agabus, who had a track record, spoke, Paul believed him and knew what to expect when he got to Jerusalem because he had the word of the Lord from a seasoned, proven prophet. And so, all right. I'm, I'm wait, a minute, wait a minute. Wait a minute. From a what? From a what? A proven, seasoned prophet. Seasoned? Why? Seasoned. Season. Why he got to be proven? Why does he have to be seasoned and proven? You know, when, when I first started in ministry many, many years ago, my dad said to me one day, he said, son, you just need some seasoning. And that only comes with time and experience. I had no frame of reference for what that man was trying to tell me. I was young. I was full of fire. I was full of passion. I preach like I preach now, only harder, faster, longer, and louder than I do now. I had the fire. I had the passion, but I didn't have the seasoning. My character wasn't right. I, I, didn't, I didn't walk in love the way that I should. I wasn't developed in patience and kindness. And people say, you ain't very patient and kind. Oh, honey, you should have seen me years ago. I was an accident going somewhere to happen. And, and see, we've got many people that are called. They're anointed. They've got gifting and they've got grace. But they don't have seasoning and they don't have experience. And they're not proven. And there are hey, things you've got to go through. Talk about something. I, I'm I'm almost in tears right now, and I'm I'm, I, I'm you know I normally don't even say anything. I'm listening, but I'm hearing this that there are people out there definitely been called into that. I mean, been 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 given that ascension gift, but the proving and the seasoning. I I I just believe that you need to camp there for a while i'm at, and i'm gonna, gonna drop i'm just gonna drop that smell and you i'm just gonna <laughs> well so much for the notes this week <laughs> you know i've been doing this a, a long time and i functioned for 16 years of my life as an ascension gift prophet 
But before that, I functioned 20-something as an evangelist, revivalist, Bible school teacher, and short-term missionary. And so there was a lot of years of ministry and development that were under my belt before I began to move towards being an Ascension Gift prophet. I've told everybody as we've gone through this from my own life experience, I began to function in the simple gift of prophecy or the shallow end of basic prophecy. When I was 15 years old, I was a freshman in high school. I was a good Baptist boy that got filled with the Holy Ghost. I became a Baptocostal matic. And almost immediately, the gift of prophecy began to function within my life. Now, I didn't know what I was called to. When I first went to my dad at 17 and I said, Dad, I believe I'm called to preach. He just looked at me and said, well, it's about time you figured it out. And I said, you knew? And he said, sure. I said, how long have you known? He said, since you were five. All those years, he never told me what I was called to. But at 17, I figured it out that I was called to preach. And so I began to teach and preach at 17 years of age. That's 43 years ago. And there were many years that I functioned in all those other functions as a Bible school teacher, a short-term missionary, an evangelist, and a revivalist. Did all of those things leading up to. That was part of my development. Part of it was that pit experience. Part of it was my wilderness season. Part of it was when people that walked in covenant with me walked out of my life people that I was in partnership with left me. And I remember my dad coming to me and he said, son, the prophet's road is a lonely road. And where you're going, they're not going. So you didn't break it. They didn't break it. God broke it and took them out of your life so that they would not keep you back from where you were going. It's not glamorous. And I'll be honest with you. Anybody who says, I want to be a prophet, my God, if he did not call you to be one, don't do it. You'd have to have your head examined to be a prophet. And it takes such character. Again, the prophet literally becomes the mouthpiece of God. And God's got to know that he can trust you, that he trusts you with your character and the fruit of the spirit so developed within your life. And so don't rush off trying to move into something before you're ready. Go through the process. Go through the seasoning. Go through them dragging your name through the mud. Go through the loving them, blessing them that curse you, doing good to them that despitefully use you. It is all part of the process that gets you ready to walk in the fullness of the function. See, many want to walk in the function, but you can't walk in the fullness of that function until the seasoning and the process and the proving takes place. And that only comes with time and experience and yielding to that process. Hallelujah. You know, your story is a lot like mine. Mine was different in age, but I walked as a prophet for a lot of years. And when he changed what it was that I was to do, I didn't like it. But the thing of it 
was, is this, the proving in that for what it is that we do now. And what we do now is that we are about to say goodbye because our time is out. information on the screen you can give it to the ministry remember to look for us on roku this is apostle baker j baker and apostle michael fram saying we will see you next week but like it is and he won't finish next week either so just don't don't even think he will <laughs> <laughs> <Bye>. <laughs>